Hello, everyone. Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, book, TV shows, and more. I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books. And this week, I'm recommending a film because the SAG after strike is over. I'm Tara Scott. I review sapphic fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Pitches Trashy Books. And this week, I am recommending a graphic novel. So we just want to take a minute to thank everyone, as always, who is supporting the show. Uh, We have the folks that are regularly supporting us through coffee, all the people that have signed up for our newsletter, which is on Substack. We'll get into that in a little bit. We have links to both in our show notes. And also just thank you to the people who are continuing to submit reviews and ratings on the podcast apps. If you haven't done one and feel inclined, we would so appreciate it. But also, if you really appreciate and value what we do, please just tell a friend about the show. If you think they're going to appreciate more queer media recommendations, especially now that we can talk about films and TV shows. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! So, like I said, we are on Substack. The last episode, I was basically saying we're moving to Substack. If I get my shit together, we'll do it in time for the next issue that goes out. And you did. I wasn't sure how hard it would be to do. But to be honest, it was not that bad. Substack has. And I'm going to share this information mostly because we have quite a few authors that follow the show. And (laughs) I just think like. Let's share this out in case anybody else is wondering if, you know, people are saying, I don't know if the newsletter platform is working for me anymore. I just had a hate-hate relationship with MailChimp. (laughs) Um, And one of the problems with MailChimp, for anybody that's using it or some of the other newsletter platforms, is that it had a cap of 500 people on a mailing Mm, list on the free plan. And so as we get closer and closer to that, it's like, well, what's going to be sustainable? What's going to work? And I can't remember if I mentioned this last time. I probably did. But one of my former bosses actually is a subscriber to our newsletter. And she said, why aren't you on Substack? Like, you can start monetizing then, too. And I was like, well, maybe I'll take a look at it. And the thing that I really liked about Substack is that there is no cap to the number of people that can be on the list. So if you're using MailChimp, MailerLite, Beehive, kind of any of those platforms where you have to pay after a certain amount, Substack might be something kind of good and interesting to you. I also like that it kind of functions almost as a blog. I know that means that we have split presences because we have a website and we have this, Mm -hmm. but we truly are mostly using it as a newsletter anyway. It's not like we're going to post stuff and not send out an email for it to go. So I don't know. I think it's worth checking out if you also have a hate-hate relationship with every aspect of MailChimp like I did because I hated building it. It was mm. it was just like, it's so, it's very block-based. It is. And I use that for work, for day job. I'm very yeah. familiar with it. So it was no problem for me to kind of slide in there and do my own newsletter from that uh, just only because I have like a zillion years of experience with it. So that's fair. I found yeah. it wasn't like the block stuff I got used to, but even the styling was super finicky. Like there was so much about it that was just very, mm. it was too fiddly. And I'm like, let me get in. Let me build my shit. Let me get out. And now, yeah, it's just much easier to use. It's pretty fun. Good. What's our other announcement, Chris? Uh, we're also on Blue Sky. Woo! And that seems to be where the lesbic slash sapphic community has largely landed. Uh, And our link to that is in the show notes if you aren't already following us there. Mm -hmm. If you're not on Blue Sky yet and you want to be on there, it does require an invite code. But I know in the the Lesbian Review has a Facebook group and people have been sharing codes in a post in there. So it's pretty easy. Like join the group grab a code. You just need to note that you've taken it. Right. And I have five codes too. Ask Chris. If anybody needs a code, hit me up because I have five of them. I didn't even realize that I had five. I was like, where are people getting these codes from? And then I go to my my page. I'm like, oh, it has a little notification (laughs) right under your heading. Because I mean, you know, most time people don't go to their own page to to look it over. Maybe. I don't know. But I know. It's and true. so uh, so I was really surprised to see them there, but I do have five codes. So if anybody needs codes, let me know. Mm-hmm. I got them. 
I put five codes in the lesbian review group. And then I was like, and then kind of going about our way and seeing how many people actually ended up on there from the sapphic mm-hmm. community. I was like, oh no, the podcast should have one. How do I get a code? And it was like, bitch, check your account. <laughs> right. You have codes. It was like, oh, right. So I gave a code. <laughs> My personal account gave a code to the podcast So yeah, you can follow both of us individually on Blue Sky and you can follow the podcast account. You know, I gotta say, we did a lot once we lost, lost. Once we abandoned ship, a lot of people abandoned the Twitter ship. Twiship. Twiship? Twiship. (laughs) I like it. And then there was a lot to jump from platform to platform, you know, Mm -hmm. to remember certain platforms. So I feel like I haven't given Blue Sky my all. So I need to get back on that. It's real hard for me to remember that. You know, I need to have all my little icons lined up in a row and just bounce from one to one to one. And I know people like they connect all of their social media accounts so that when you post it one place, it it goes to every social media Mm -hmm. site, which kind of drives me crazy because, you know, I mean, I see it one place and I jump somewhere else and I see the exact same stuff on the exact same, you know, format on a different platform. Like I've always kind of said, I'm going to like mix it up a little. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, my, my Instagram and my Facebook are connected. And oh, well, yeah, so I have to owned by the same, yeah, they're owned by the same company and it doesn't allow for mm. kind of that individual level of customization, unless mm. you get some kind of a social media management platform, which is actually what we do have for the podcast. We use one for mm. the podcast called Buffer. And that's why, like, what we post to, like, I'll draft one initial message. With their free plan, you can have three social media platforms in there. So for now, it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. When Twitter proper finally falls down, hopefully mm-hmm. Blue Sky will be one of the available integrations because yes. it's not today. But then it lets you individualize them. And so, but you can't do that. Like, say you post via Instagram and it pushes to Facebook. It just pushes exactly as is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow for that kind of customization. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of, it's tough because I understand, especially with authors needing to reach audiences mm-hmm. all over and needing to be all over the place. But yeah, having that same message, the exact, the exact, exact same message can mm-hmm. be kind of awkward to read as you're going to different places and then it's like like, well didn't i read that already you know so i'll scroll from one to the other and i'm like Mm -hmm. i think i read that post already oh no this is a different platform and i was so excited that when we first uh our first option i think was mastodon i think that was yeah one of the first options that popped up and i was like yes so i like put all my energy into that and then like oh sorry we can't make it work anymore so i was like yeah ah, great thank you so yeah, I still I still do Twitter. I mean, I can't help it. That's my place. Yeah, I'm yeah. still I'm still doing it for now, especially because like a lot oh. of the folks that listen to us are there. So yeah, I'm listen. Everybody that <laughs> listens to us, I mean, you're already listening. Obviously, if you're you've made it this far. Um, <laughs> but as long as you're there, I think we'll both be there. That's kind of my commitment for myself anyway. I'll be there as long as you're there. But when you all jump ship, I'm just gonna drop that Twitter account pretty fast i think but it's i haven't seen as many people do much with threads or yeah right there was some other one i can't remember the name of it (laughs) wow but a lot of people signed up for it all at once i think i finally removed it from my phone Mm, so let's see if i have it i'm kind of hopeful that blue sky might be the The answer yeah it's not perfect i think we need to approach it with a little bit of caution because it is created by the guy who created twitter so you know it's great for now will it will it be great forever i don't know but it is really good to have a place where we can come together as a community because that's the right. thing that i've noticed anyway is that it feels quite similar to the way the lesfic or sapphic lit community would engage with each other on twitter it's the it's the closest vibe i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i agree as we said in the opening, the SAG after strike is over. Ba, 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 ba. Hooray! We needed that. Yes. We needed that. I'm not going to lie. As much as I still believe we did the right thing and we would have continued as long as mm-hmm. it took for the strike to end, we would have remained in solidarity, not covering struck work, which was, you know, any 
film or TV work that was created under the current contracts, I was starting to get nervous about the run up to Christmas because we like to cover the holiday films and the holiday stuff. So I'm glad we can talk about holiday stuff again. Yay, because that's my fave. You know that. No, I know. I was like, what's Chris going to talk about? (laughs) Chris is going to be sad, but now, now, now I'm not. Mm hmm. So we're recording this on Sunday, November 12th, which means actually the full details of the deal haven't been released yet. We nobody's really been able to see all of it. There's supposed to be some kind of a meeting that happens tomorrow for the union Mm. members where they're going to go over it. It sounds like for the most part, it's actually quite good. There's definitely going to be more money coming, which was necessary. But the one thing that I think is worth talking about, because we did get into it a bit a few episodes ago is that it sounds like the AI provisions are not particularly good for the sector. I was reading an article this morning about how Justine Bateman, she was the union advisor. She was one of the union Mm. advisors for generative AI. She was on MSNBC on Friday and she was talking about this. And, you know, she was saying that she feels like the studio executives are choosing not to be in the film and series business anymore There was this really great quote. Uh, I read about this in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, But she said, I think they sort of like to think of themselves as being tech barons or something. But this, doing projects that don't involve humans, you're not in the film business anymore. People who don't want to have any human involved have never really been on a set. They don't know what it's like to make a film. And I think that's an excellent point. And then I don't know if this next point is hyperbolic. But it reminded me of something, so I'm going to share it anyway. And she was saying, I mean, soon they'll have customized films for you based on your particular Mm -hmm. viewing history. And they won't bother to copyright them because it'll be like Kleenex. They'll make a million of them in an hour. It won't matter to them. You can get yourself scanned and get yourself put in these pieces. There will eventually, the novelty will wear off because I think people will still hunger for something real and human. Mm. And it made me think, now neither of us are Black Mirror fans, but I know I knew a lot of people that told me, like, you need to watch the episode from the most recent recent season called Joan is Awful. And it's basically what she just described, this idea of, like, Mm. personalized, you're in it, your life is in it, except it's in a very, like, creepy dystopian way. I just wonder things like, how bad is it going to be for the climate if there is that level of content generation it's not a good idea like do how much computing power is it going to take how much of the storage how much and especially at a time when you know some film companies are choosing to shelve a movie entirely hollywood just feels like it's pretty kind of fucked in general but i think on this case about the generative ai she's right like it's it's a big problem and on on Twitter, she listed a bunch of the problems with the provisions, and it was things like basically using it to do touch-ups and stuff that you would normally call actors in for. So like, yeah, I get it. Like you're paying less. That's not good. But the most problematic is that it includes synthetic performers or AI objects resembling humans, which gives them a green mm. light to use human-looking AI objects instead of hiring human actors and kind of towards the beginning of the sag after strike we talked about how background acting is actually it's it it used to be a way that you could make a living right um that was a huge part of why they went on strike in the first place Mm -hmm. and i'm not an expert this is not anything that resembles legal advice or opinions but it sounds like this is something that could really hurt the very people that drove a huge part of this. So I think that's really unfortunate, but I'm hopeful that she's right. That, you know, there is going to be novelty, but Mm -hmm. people are going to get sick of it because, you know, we turn, we turn to the arts for that human connection. We can have that connection to these roles that we see actors playing to these stories that people are telling to, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. I saw recently a clip of um, Judy Dench on the Graham Norton mm-hmm. show 
talking about Shakespeare and how it's kind of it's all around us. She recited a sonnet. It was fucking incredible. Just like seeing Judy Dench do anything is always incredible. <laughs> but she was talking about like, that's why Shakespeare feels so real today, like revenge and love and all these feelings that you get to the heart of things. Well, it's, it's not just in Shakespeare either. Right. It's in the books that you write. It's in the films that we right. watch. It's in all these things. And I don't know that AI is ever going to be able to mimic that. Like, what's that spark that tells you, Chris, I got to tell this story. Right. Yeah, it's there's a lot that goes into that spark. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I don't think that AI will be able to cover that. Mm -hmm. But also, I, you know, I'm kind of a negative Nelly when it comes to AI because I feel like it kind of is like, you know, the the pirated books on the dark web. You know, I feel like people are going to, there's just going to be a group of people that will just accept it the way that is just because it's easier, it's cheaper, free, whatever. And I mm -hmm. feel like, but then I don't know. That's, that's a tough call. It is a tough call. Yeah. I think though, I mean, if we even look at the way fanfic communities have thrived, if you look mm -hmm. at all the that's activity true. that happens on archive of our own or also known as AO3 or fanfic.net and has done for years those people are writing for the love of writing right. they're not getting paid for it and so I think kind of the to, to cap off this section you know before we started recording we were talking about well what can we what can we do about any of this <laughs> and I think where 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 we landed and a way that we would invite some other people listening to also consider thinking about it is as much as possible, we should be supporting art that's created by humans. That's what mm -hmm. makes it art. Buy books from authors who are people. Buy books from Chris. Buy books yeah. from other <laughs> authors that we love. You know, with film and TV, as much as possible, like if there is too much of this AI creeping in, Try to support the indie filmmakers who are taking a stance against AI, like Justine Bateman, who has said mm -hmm. it will never be a part of my films. Or continue to go back to old films and TV shows that you love that came before that. Because there's something really special and beautiful about humans creating art. And it's up to us to make sure that there is a demand for that. Right. Well said. Woo! Um, <laughs> that, that's a weird thing to end with a woo, but you know what? <laughs> it's truth though. Yeah. So Chris, that what have you been reading or watching? Well, I'm still in the bliss of the great British baking. So, you know, they, they do an episode every week. So, you know, I wish they had like a thousand series so that I could binge watch it every time I'm writing because it's just such, I just love it. It's so joyful and it's so much fun. I have been watching Chicago Fire and I'm almost done with season 11. So Whoa. we still have, yeah, I know. So they are getting ready to start filming season 12, but still happy gays after the whole barrier gays thing at the very beginning, but we have happy gays. So that's good. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, the morning show, I'm watching that uh, season three, I think is out right now. And I know that everyone is gaga over Jennifer Aniston, mm -hmm. but honestly, I am a Reese Witherspoon crusher. Mm -hmm. Like I crush her. Mm -hmm. And, and here's the cool thing. So I think it was Friday night. I just turned on the TV and Legally Blonde was on. And that is such a fun movie. I it's just love it. So <laughs> cute. I watched it with so... one of my kids. I think I watched it with one of my kids in the last year or two. And I was like, this holds up pretty okay. Yeah, it's, it's it really does. You know, it was what, 20 years ago or something? Mm -hmm. I don't remember how long ago it was. But she looks the same. She's absolutely beautiful. She really is. And uh, I will say, though, I, I, you know how I am with chemistry and, and how I need to believe what I see on screen. And I, I just I don't believe her gay character, her lesbian oh, character. Real? I really don't. And I want to desperately mm -hmm. I do, but I don't believe it. Cause it's so it's so chaste. You know, the kisses are so like lip to lip. Mwah. It's not like, you know, when you kiss somebody, you kind of interlock your lips, you know, mm -hmm. like one lip in between, one lip above. Yeah. You know, that's a kiss kiss. And they're not doing that. They are doing straight on like Disney 
1963 Disney kiss like that you know just lips to lips and so i'm just like "Mm, i need more i mean sure hug each other hold each other hold hands like let's let you know let's have that chemistry like find that chemistry with your coworker or your co yeah i guess partner right partner i'll go with partner find that chemistry but still i love her and i'm still watching it Mm mm-hmm so Fair. that is what I have been watching. Oh, and I will say one thing I forgot to say is like at some point in the next X amount of years, I'm pretty sure Taylor Swift's going to be a Kansas Cityan. I'm going to throw that out there right now. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll hang out one day. <laughs> yeah, that seems that relationship seems to be working out. It sounds it's, like. Yeah, it sounds like it's re- uh, it's doing really well. And they showed like last night, I was getting a bunch of messages from my Swifty friends mm-hmm. who uh, saw our Kansas City Chiefs player, Travis Kelsey, who she's dating mm-hmm. in Argentina. And like he finishes the show and she goes running off into his arms and they have a proper kiss, Aww. a nice kiss. Yeah, it's super sweet. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, I wanted to throw that out there real quick that I will become BFFs with Taylor Swift when she moves here. <laughs> I, think, anyway. I think you should i think the thing i'm not even like i'm not a swifty i'm not i'm not a i'm not a taylor swift hater either right i've seen a lot of people that like it feels very one or the other i'm pretty taylor swift neutral i've enjoyed some of her songs mm-hmm. but he seems like somebody who's going to be a total wife guy like i think so and i think wife guys are so i mean <laughs> as someone who's married to a wife guy Hey, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> I know. And it's so sweet because I actually saw this TikTok where they compared Justin Bieber and the way what? he treats his, I don't even know if the kid's still married or not. And they just showed like a comparison of Justin Bieber, how he treats women versus Travis Kelsey. So I'm assuming it's either Justin Bieber's wife or girlfriend or whatever. And he like mm-hmm. never holds her hand, doesn't hold the door open, like walks in front of her. And then they show like Travis Kelsey, you know, with his hand on her back, holding her hand, mm-hmm. opening the doors. And it's just super sweet. You know, it's no, it's you just a good comparison. I actually think a good comparison of Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. is with Nick Jonas, because like Nick Jonas is married to Priyanka Chopra mm-hmm. and Nick Jonas is a wife guy as well. Priyanka Chopra is she's like a mega famous Bollywood star who started mm-hmm. to do. Oh, yeah, I know Hollywood she is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like um, you can see any photo of them together, and it's like, yes, this is adorable. Didn't okay. I hang on. I'm I'm googling this mm-hmm. because are you about to tell me something that's gonna shatter my illusions? Yes, yes. Know. They dated Nick Jonas and Taylor Swift. Dated. Oh, that's fine. Okay, that's well, not. I thought he you were gonna tell broke me he up with her. No, well, no, no, no. It said, while their relationship in 2008 only lasted a couple of months, Taylor used the experience, Uh-oh. including Jonas breaking up with her during a 25-second phone call as inspiration for her second album, Fearless. Good for her. So, uh, yes, I mean, 2008, 15 years ago, I mean, we were all different people. Yeah, they were babies. <laughs> they were babies, for sure. They were like 17 uh-huh. or something. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, not very old. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so that's what's going on in my world. What have you been reading or watching, Tara? So I have not gone much further into Alone Season 3, but, you know, enough to confirm that my original stance of no, I don't want to (laughs) hang out in that part of Patagonia by myself. Ever. But I was talking to somebody and I found out that not only do they love the show alone, but they (laughs) actually live pretty close to where one of the seasons was filmed. And I haven't wow. seen this season yet. Oh. But I guess it's one where it was like people working in teams and they were dropped off in different locations and then had to find each other. It was another um, it was another Vancouver Island season, but not up at the tip like the first two. Just the tip. Um <laughs> I don't I don't remember a team effort. If um that's not true. There was something that came on and I wasn't sure if it was alone or not. But I, I didn't like the way it was going. I didn't like uh, how they, and I didn't watch it. So I don't know if it was alone or something, but they did, they have like two teams and they were sabotaging each other. 
Oh no. That's so nice. I stopped watching it because like, if that was alone, then that wasn't like, that no. isn't what I want to see. I just want to see no. somebody survive. Like, no, I don't want to see that. Yeah. The whole thing. I that's yeah. So there was something where I didn't like how it was going down. So I stopped watching it. So if that was the season, I, I did skip a season of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, yeah, I haven't seen that far. Um, I said, but I did see the first two kind of like Vancouver Island. And so this person was like, oh yeah. Like when they talk about how like every it's wet, everything is wet. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, that's just what it's like living here. <laughs> that's, yeah. just, that's just my normal. And I was like, wow. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> That's my brush with Alone, nice. the world of Alone. I'm still watching Drag Race UK. And do you remember how last time I said, and it's Sunday and I still haven't even watched the latest episode. So I right. guess that tells you how I feel. But no, they hooked me. I'm back to being mm, invested in this yay. season. I think the thing that's so interesting about this season of Drag Race UK and that I actually haven't seen in any season of any of the I haven't watched all the worldwide ones because like I think it's in almost a dozen countries now I wow. watch the I watch the English speaking ones like that's that's Canada yeah. UK Australia US and then the US All-Stars that's that's what I do but people that I thought for sure for sure for sure would be in the top four are getting knocked out wow like not even making it to the top five. And I was like, holy shit. Like the person who got to top seven, I thought for sure, shoe in. And then the person who was this past week, again, I was gobsmacked. I was like, but this person has been getting an edit that says they will be there at the end. So if anybody wants an unpredictable season of Drag Race, this is actually a great one to jump in on. I don't know that it's like one of the best seasons. I'm reserving judgment until the end, but there are five possibilities for the top four, and I am not actually sure who will be knocked out hmm. next week. Wow. I cannot tell, which feels like one of the first times I've had no like, yeah, it could be anybody. Could be anybody. Wow. I mm-hmm. don't know. So that's been interesting. Something Neil got me into, but actually our friend Amanda got him into. Amanda was the one who was on a couple episodes last year. Is um, Dimension 20. And that's a, it's a part of, like, if you go to Dropout TV, they have a bunch of different stuff on there. College humor is gone. Did you know college humor was gone? I did not know that. Um, Hmm. But the college humor crew kind of reformed and some other folks joined them at dropout.tv. And so they have a really fun game show on there called Game Changers. And the idea is that every episode, it's a different game. The game always changes. You never know. Like the contestants (laughs) will show up and they don't know what game they're playing. And so like one episode was Survivor. Fantastic. It's so good. (laughs) One episode was a locked room game and they didn't Mm. know until they like they thought it was just like, oh, we're hanging out in the hangout room before we start taping. And then they go to leave and the door is locked and they're like, you motherfuckers. (laughs) Because that is that's what it is. That's Um, cool. There was another one that was supposed to be about trying not to cry, but actually it was like all just a ruse for a really beautiful way to celebrate someone on the staff getting married and i was like oh you bastards like you all just love each other (laughs) okay but they have a bunch of seasons of what's called dimension 20 and it's dungeons and dragons campaigns and i would have thought i would be happy to just sit there and watch people play D &D. (laughs) but neil got me to start watching this thing called the unsleeping city and the idea is that there's this sixth borough to new york and you can't see it because it's magical. Oh. And it's cool. It's quite queer. Like there are queer care there are queer characters, but also there's like there's a non-binary actor who's playing a trans man. There's other kind of queer things happening in it. And but they're all improv actors. And so it's improv actors playing D. And so if you like Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons and you haven't checked it out yet, I really like it. I've heard Critical Role is also excellent, but I haven't watched that yet. And there's a lot of seasons of Dimension 20 to watch before we keep going. I also watched, I haven't been talking about it since when I mentioned it earlier this year, but I'm still watching Bollywood movies. I've watched more than a dozen this year. 
But I watched one that I love so much. I actually watched it twice in one week. Oh. I showed it to my youngest kid because she loves love maybe mm. as much as you. Mm. This is the kid who, like, if Neil and I kiss in the kitchen, she actually cheers. It's hilarious. <laughs> Instead um, of going, so, oh, yes. Yeah. No, she loves it. That's or if she sweet. finds out she missed it, she's really disappointed and we have Aww. to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, sweet. This one's called Rocky or Ronnie, Kiprem Kahani, or people just call it Rocky and Ronnie. The translation for that is Rocky and Ronnie's love story. Mm. And it's about these two people who they meet. It's like, it's kind of complicated to explain. So I'm going to skip most of it and just get to kind of the most interesting part of it. These two mm -hmm. people meet, their families are not going to approve of them being together for different reasons. And so the solution to bring their families on board is that they are each going to live with the other's family for three months. Oh my gosh. Which is not all of what it's about. There's so much more to it than that, but it's funny. It's surprisingly it? sexy for Bollywood. Oh yeah. It's a rom-com. That's the other thing. It's a rom-com. Oh. So it's like very funny in spots. There is, uh, I can't say it without ruining the joke, but I laughed so hard. I nearly cried. And the music is really, really good. I've actually like for all the Bollywood movies I've watched, even the ones I like the music, I'm like, yeah, okay, that music is pretty good. It's sticking in my head. No, this one, it brainwormed me so hard that I've been listening to it on Spotify. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so it has Ranveer Singh, who is like the guy in Bollywood right now, and Alia Bhatt, and she's also wonderful. Everybody's great in it. It's just like excellent acting, excellent story. I thoroughly loved it. It has an element that actually is sort of kind of queer. But not enough that I feel like I can make it an official oh, recommendation. Mm -hmm. Or I actually would have made it an official recommendation. But the thing that I think is really cool is that Ronnie's dad, he's a dance instructor. But it's for a kind of dance that traditionally has only ever been done by women. And that becomes an important, like there's an important plot point around it. And so it's this like very progressive, beautiful... Um, and at one point, the line comes up, talent has no gender. And oh. I thought that was really lovely. But not enough to say I can actually queerly recommend it. Like, I recommend it. <laughs> I highly recommend it. But Just not queerly. <laughs> it's not my official recommendation for this week. But Chris, speaking of official recommendations, what is yours? Hmm. So I'm so happy that we can watch now what we want to watch. And right. so my official recommendation is a movie based Casey McQuiston's novel of the same name, Red, White, and Royal Blue. And I watched it on Amazon Prime, I think. And so I'm not mm -hmm. quite sure where else it is, but uh, I'm sure you can find it. And the book came out in 2019. And it's like forever on the Amazon Top 100. So I mm -hmm. always see it. And I'm like, okay. And I never really thought about it until they made it into a movie. And then I was like, hey, I'm going to watch this because mm -hmm. a couple people said that they watched it and really liked it. And they said, once the strike is over, you should like watch it and talk about it. And so that's mm -hmm. what I did. I watched it and I really liked it. Nice. Um, so here's the synopsis. Based on the New York Times bestseller, Red, White, and Royal Blue centers around Alex, the president's son, and Britain's Prince Henry, whose long-running feud threatens to drive a wedge at British relations. When the rivals are forced into a staged truce, their icy relationship begins to thaw, and the friction between them sparks something deeper than they ever expected. Ooh. I know, see? So this is the cutest movie I have seen in a very long time. And it has an incredible cast. All right. Yeah. So the acting is is so well done. And also, you know how I am about chemistry. I mean, I totally believed these guys. I, I The chemistry was very, very sharp. It was... Real kissing? It was real kissing. It wasn't Yay. that lip to lip. It was interlocking. There was tongue. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I really did. I loved everything about the story. It it really wasn't just a love story. It really focused on relationships in this, you know, relationships with partners, relationship between friends, lovers. And I adored the relationship between Alex and the mother. So Alex's mom is played by Uma Thurman. What? 
I know. And she's the president of the United States. There's what? so much going on in this movie. I love it. Wonderful. I know. And she's like from Texas. Like she's from Texas. And so like that, that kind of plays a big role into the in the whole movie, mm-hmm. uh, the little sub stories that are going on. So what she frequently sends Alex around to do political things, you know, like families do, like political families do, including mm-hmm. attending Henry's older brother, like Prince Henry's older brother, Prince William's wedding. Whew, that was long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot to say. But um, he goes there and he just thinks that Henry is just such a snob and thinks he's better than everyone else. And so he kind of like he's kind of angry about being forced to go to this wedding and he's sitting there and he's drinking, 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 you know, and then when he's drinking, he starts to get a little more, he starts to get a louder about mm-hmm. his feelings. And so like this, this whole thing happened and something bad happens at this wedding. And so then they're forced to do things together to try to show the world that they're really friends and everything's mm-hmm. great. And it just, it's, so it's just it's very hallmarky. This movie is yeah. very hallmarky, except yeah. there are some believable sexual experiences. You don't see the actual, you know, experience. You just see f- emotions, and it's just it's mm-hmm. actually very lovely and very beautiful. It's also very predictable. It's sweet, and you know you're desperately waiting for them to turn from the enemies into lovers. And I was not disappointed when that happened at all. I'm trying to think like. How do I, how, well, we all know that it's going to be a happy ending, right? Yes. Like it's going to be a happy ending. So the problem, one of the obstacles besides, you know, hey, we're homosexuals. Actually, Alex says he's bisexual and Henry says he's full on gay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're trying to figure out how to make it work. And Prince Henry's like, you know, I, I don't, I can't give you what you want. You can't love with me. Because I can never be who you want me to be. You know, I belong to Great Britain. I I don't belong to anybody. Mm -hmm. I don't belong. You know, I belong to this family, but I have a role and I belong to the country. And Alex is like, you know, that's crazy. You could do your own thing. You know, let's just have this relationship and see what happens. And meantime, you know, he, he needs to tell, Alex needs to tell his mom, the president, that he is bisexual. And it's a very sweet moment. He goes in there and he's like, she's sitting in the Oval Office and she's at the desk and and he's like, mom, do you have a few minutes to talk? And she's like, of course. So he's like, I'm bisexual. I'm in love or I'm having a relationship with Henry. Or if I met someone. That's what it was. I was like, I met someone. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you know, who is she? Assuming, of course, that, you know, it's a heterosexual uh, relationship. But he tells her and she picks up, she picks up the and he's like oh my god what is she doing and mm-hmm. she's like we're gonna need some pizza in here asap <laughs> so and then the next scene is they're eating pizza and he's kind of like has his head on her shoulder and they just have such a beautiful relationship throughout the whole entire movie like uma thurman does a really good job and all you know i mean as far as support he has all the support whereas the prince doesn't have as much support so mm-hmm. there's that whole you know trying to figure out what they're going to do there because the only person who really supports the prince is his little sister. You know, yeah. the older brother thinks it's awful. The grandpa thinks it's awful. So, yeah. So it's just, it's, a, it's just so cute. It's, it's like, I'm stumbling because I don't know how to like say what I want to say and not give everything away. I will say my future wife's in this movie. Which one? Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sarah Shahi. She's in it. Like, oh. I just, I just love her. She's just absolutely gorgeous. And she's so sweet. But I think, you know, let's watch some some fun gay movies again. And this is a beautiful love story. It's totally believable. And I think if you just need something that's kind of, you know, the angsty moment wasn't as angsty. They didn't portray it as angsty as they could have. It was mm-hmm. kind of like brushed over quickly, which I loved because I just I wanted to get back to the good stuff. I wanted to get back together, to, you know, to, you know, kiss and hook up and all that sweet stuff. So. If you're in the mood for a movie like that and you need it to be just kind of like give you all the feels, then you should watch this movie. Red, white, and royal blue. 
I, I, you would love it. You absolutely will love it. I know you well enough to know that you will love this movie. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see it. Um, I actually just like stopped watch anything. Stopped watching anything we might want to talk about on the show when right. strikes happen because I was like, Same. no, my memory is so bad that I need to wait until we're I'm ready to talk about any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I did the same thing. I wasn't going to watch something that I wanted to talk about because I needed it to be fresh. And I feel Mm -hmm. like this was almost too fresh because I watched it last night. And so I'm still like processing everything. It was so good, though. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that my friends recommended it to me. And I'm glad that I can recommend it to our listeners. So good. Well, speaking of still processing things, my recommendation, I read it last night as well. (laughs) This week, I'm recommending a graphic novel called Flung Out of Space, inspired by the indecent adventures of Patricia Highsmith. It was Mm. written by Grace Ellis, and the illustrator is Hannah Templer. Some people may not be familiar with who Patricia Highsmith Mm. was. She wrote a whole bunch of like mystery and suspense novels. She was really well known for it. Her first one was actually adapted into a Hitchcock film. But she also, under a pen name, wrote her second book, which was published as The Price of Salt, which was then later retitled Carol. And she published it under the name Claire Morgan because it was a lesbian book. It was not something like she would have (laughs) tanked her fledgling writing career if she had published it under her own name. And so this book is a, it's like a fictional imagining of how she came to write this book. And it's largely Hmm. based on real events. I'm trying to think of how they put it. So the author's note to this is also phenomenal. It's like less than two pages, but it is so, so, so good. So this is a paragraph from that. I'm going to be referring to this again later on as I talk about it. But they say Pat's biographer, Joan Schenker, who had planned to write an afterword for this book, but who sadly passed away suddenly, described this Mm -hmm. book you're holding as a fantasia, which I think is apt. This is a fictionalized narrative version of a true story. I think of it as a version you would tell around a campfire. The timeline is condensed. The conversations are imagined. Some of the characters are composites of multiple real people. But the most interesting facts and events are true. So I thought that was a really interesting way to go about it. Although because I knew that, I wouldn't call it a challenge. I don't think it's a bad thing. But it does mean that I don't know how confidently I can talk about (laughs) a lot of the events in it. Like... Yes, I knew Patricia Highsmith was a lesbian. And there were a couple of things in there. I actually went to check just to see, like, is this true? Because, like, at one point, it has someone introducing her to a potential boss slash love interest who actually is Stan Lee, the comics guy. Mm. And I was like, holy shit, did she for real almost date Stan Lee? And yeah. Yeah. Wow. She really did. (laughs) And so this is, you know, in this book, it talks about how she got started as a writer in comics, um, which I had no idea, which actually is kind of largely on purpose. She hated Mm. working in comics so much. She thought it was such garbage. Like it was the 1940s. So it was this idea that they're for kids and for simpletons. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, only kids and idiots read comic books. Meanwhile, it's this like (laughs) huge business now. Um, she's probably rolling in her grave at the way there's all these Marvel and DC films <laughs> that have taken over. Um, and so she really, once she was able to, like, she pushed that down. She did not want her name on it. Wow. And she kind of hid that and scrubbed it from her biography. Hmm. We also see in this book that she's really not what one would call a great person. She was anti-Semitic. I mean, in the book, we also, and we see that in the book, like there's some, she's not, they don't have her saying slurs in there, you know, Mm -hmm. thankfully, but it's not hard to imagine that she would have gone that way. Um, Close my mind. Right. Like we also see her very willingly taking part in therapy, like her, like, she wasn't signed up for conversion therapy but like she's working with a therapist and saying make me normal Mm. i want to become and it's uncomfortable reading about that but that's also very easy to say in like 2023 when yes there are politicians who are trying to roll back rights for queer people but at the same time like 
for the most part, queer people are not checking themselves in for conversion therapy. We're, you know, embracing ourselves and we're just (laughs) saying like, hey, guess what? We're real people too. Our love is normal and fine. But along the way, we also see these building blocks of the story that becomes Carol. Uh, Mm. You know, she tries having a boyfriend. She even has sex with a boyfriend. That doesn't happen on the page. She goes to work at Bloomingdale's because she has Mm. to make extra money, which like, hmm, Bloomingdale's check. (laughs) You know, we see her like she sleeps with a lot of women and some of them are from. Well, this is part that I thought was kind of funny. Some of them are from the support group that her therapist puts her in with other people (laughs) who are trying to not be gay anymore. Um, But some of those. Right. What a great place to meet right. <laughs> to women who are guaranteed <laughs> to at least have the same uh, sexual orientation as you. But, you know, some of these women are married mm-hmm. and there's one who's like, I have a child. I can't just walk away from my child. And you can see how all these things kind of oh, weave yeah. together all these moments. Which, but again, a lot of is fictionalized, mm-hmm. but you can see how it might make sense if you add all of these things up that it turns into this book that saved who even knows how many lives. Mm-hmm. That was like the coming out book for a lot of women. And it gave the first real kind of happy ending for lesbians in literature. If you can accept that them being together, but giving up a relationship with know. her daughter. Right. As a happy ending. And it was funny because there is a thing in the author's note where I was like, hang on a minute. Um, because it says something about this audacious book stands alone in. Oh, you know what? I read it very wrong. That was me reading badly. It stands alone in her canon. I thought it was trying to say that it was like the only book of its kind. I'm like, that's not fair. There were other books. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> learn how to read. I'm the person that does the reading uh, on this show, but I need to learn how to read. <laughs> Um, but I think that's a fair point. It absolutely stands alone in her canon. She wrote nothing quite like it before or since, but she is this deeply problematic person. And I kind of love, not even kind of, I wholeheartedly love that Hmm. the author didn't shy away from this. And this is where I'm going to go back to the author's note. There are a few, uh, kind of parts that I think are important, you know, and it says, it talks about how the story the story isn't about her prejudices, but it does include some instances of her bigotry. And that was an informed mm. choice because her hatefulness is actually an important part of understanding who she is as a person. It's something that we should be aware of when we're reading it. And so the author says, I take no pleasure in writing about her prejudices. I do not expect you to take pleasure in reading about them. Mm. And I was like, Fuck. I like yes. That. Yeah. Yes. Do that. I also loved when it said, by all accounts, Pat had a magnetic personality and could be charming when she wanted to be. And in that way, she closely resembles the character she's most famous for writing. Charismatic sociopaths who are worryingly easy to root for. And it's like, yeah, she's not great. Like we see her be <laughs> really mean to some people in the <sighs> office. And at one point, somebody says to her, why do you have to be such a bitch all the time? And she says, I don't really know any other way to be. And yeah, she's mean. She's kind of hateful, but she's also sort of unapologetic about all of it. And she owns all of it. And so it's hard because there is that like. That urge to kind of condemn outright. But on the other hand, yeah, I do root for her as she's trying to write this book, write the things that she wants to write. And then finally, you know, she gets, pardon me, I think it was called Strangers on a Train was her first book. And that gets published and she has great success with that. But then she writes the book of her heart, which becomes The Price Mm -hmm. of Salt. But like trying to get that published at a time when like there were literally laws about which books could be published. Uh, Well, I suppose also public in that sense. Right. Like, I think there was a law at the time that said that if there was a happy ending in a book with two same-sex characters, it couldn't be shipped across state lines. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which means effectively you can't really sell it. Like, how are you going to make that work? And she writes this book where, you know, they don't split up. Neither of them is institutionalized. Neither of them kills themselves. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like, yes, she has to walk away from her daughter and that's incredibly tragic, but like, this was a highly, highly progressive, it incredibly would have been perceived as transgressive book at the time. So we see her trying to shop it like her agent wouldn't even try to sell this for her. She's like, there's no way you're getting this book published. It's not going to happen. And so we see Pat Highsmith has to go and get it sold herself. And the only place that would take it is in the pulps. Mm -hmm. And so it flourishes as a pulp. And I think, you know, I had such complicated feelings about this character. And I'm using the word character deliberately because it is a fictionalized version. And it left me with very complicated feelings about Patricia Highsmith, the author. And I think that's actually what I loved the most about this book. I don't think it's good for us to take people who changed paradigms and expect them to be perfect. They're still whoever they actually were. Their views, their behaviors aren't necessarily okay at any time, even though there's there's a a desire to say, well, she's of her time. It's like, no, she was an asshole then. Like that was right. That was clearly a part of it. And it's like, so not burying it, I think, is so good. And I think the note I want to end on is at the very end of their author's note, because it said, like Grace Ellis says it so perfectly. I want to give her the final word on this. She says, history is populated by complicated and destructive human beings. I think it's important Mm -hmm. that we reckon with that. Not every influential or important figure deserves to be put on a pedestal, including women and LGBTQ people. Simplified hagiographies have their purposes, but I think they ultimately do us all a disservice by flattening real people into heroes and villains when the truth is almost always richer and more complicated. Patricia Highsmith is not a hero, and she had a huge positive impact on LGBTQ literature, not to mention American literature in general. And because of that, her story is a fundamental part of our history. Mm. And so I think if you have any interest, in our history as queer people and as enthusiasts of queer fiction you absolutely need to check out flung out of space it is such a rich textured wonderful book and i hope you walk away with complicated feelings because that is the best way to experience this book Mm. wow good recommendation yeah that's uh that's my one i'm so you know what i didn't even know about this book neil brought it home from the library he was like hey i thought you might like this marry the partner who will find you (laughs) the the queer books right (laughs) i had no idea it was nowhere on my radar and it just like knocked my fucking socks off it is so good good that is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You get notified when we release an episode. As always, of course, if you have a friend that you think would like the show, please tell them about it. And if you want to support us, we have links in the show notes to our Substack and our coffee. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes for that as well. Or you can search for us or email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Woo. Hello, ever fuck. <laughs> it's my fourteen-year-old boy. Boys coming out. <laughs> Hello, uh, everyone. Fuck. <laughs> it's okay, gonna be a good day. Go. It's gonna be a good day. It's gonna be a great day. It is.